0: So a few months ago, I was assigned by Golf Digest to write a lengthy piece about an awful accident that happened this past March, when a van ferrying the University of the Southwest men's and women's golf teams collided with an oncoming truck in Texas, killing nine people total, including Coach Tyler James and six of his University of the Southwest golfers. It was the hardest piece I've ever worked on. I probably drove 4,000 miles through Texas and New Mexico. I sat down with one grieving family member after another. It was brutal, and also loving, and hard, and invaluable. And today, I wanna do something different on this podcast and tell the story behind the story. I hope that's good for you guys. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sing and Yang. A podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest, uh, it's it's me, talking about my new golf digest piece, Shattered. In March, a band carrying members of the University of the Southwest golf team collided with a truck driven by a man with meth in his system. Nine people died. These are their stories. This is episode number 274. Let's sling some yank.
1: Dad, your podcast sucks, and you smell like vinegar and cottage cheese.
0: All right, so I'm sitting here on the bed in our familiar spot with Catherine, my wife. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Catherine is the author, I should note, of a hot new parenting book called First Phone that everyone is buying. And Anyway, I actually thought it would be cool to try something different, which is Hyper Breakdown, a story I have out. I don't do that many freelance pieces anymore. I did a story for Golf Digest that just came out called Shattered. It comes out in September 2022 issue of Golf Digest. should be online any day now. And it was about a uh, golf uh, team's bus crash. University of the Southwest, based in Hobbs, New Mexico. They were driving back from a meet on a long stretch of highway in Texas, uh, got in an accident, and um, uh, nine people died. And I wrote the story about it, and I thought, instead of me just talking, I would have Catherine, who read the story and was along the ride for me, uh, emotionally, talk to me about it. So Catherine, I'm going to hand the microphone to you.
1: Okay, anything.
0: Other way. Yeah, go ahead.
1: All right. So before you got this assignment, you had recently written another article about a fatal car accident in Las Vegas. Then you got this Golf Digest assignment to write about another fatal accident, um, this time involving a golf team. What was your mindset when you got this assignment and how is this experience different than the Vegas accident story?
0: So I didn't really want to do this at first at all. The Vegas story involved Henry Ruggs, the Las Vegas uh, Raiders football player, and um, that took a lot out of me. I was like, you know, all these stories beat the shit out of you. They're very emotionally; they just beat you up. And I didn't want to do this. And I'll be honest with you. i be. I try to be very honest on this podcast. Golf. And I just offered a really good amount of money for this. They offered four dollars a word, which just is unheard of in my world anymore.
1: In all um, worlds, it's unheard of. Every now
0: and then you find writers who get it, but it's it's it doesn't happen that often, I don't see. And it was a 3,000 word story assignment. So that's a $12,000 story. And I still didn't really want to do it because I just knew it would beat the crap out of me. Like this was a hard story and I have books to work on and, and the emotions of it, you know, like this is a really tragic accident. And if you're going to do it and do it well, you got to dig deep. And the thing is, Golf just said, We want you to fly down to these places. We want you to really get into it. And um, it kind of reminded me of an old Sports Illustrated assignment the way it used to be at SI, where they would be like, cost doesn't matter. Just go do it and do it well. So I decided to do it. It was a million times harder than Las Vegas story, which was really hard, but it just was much harder and much more emotionally challenging sitting there across from one parent after another who lost their, their children in this horrible accident.
1: Right. So just a review, mm-hmm. one coach and six kids yes. on the team passed away. Correct. And two other kids were very injured.
0: Two, uh, two, two kids were airlifted out and they survived with yeah. severe burns. Uh, the coach uh, died and six kids died. And then it was basically a truck driving the other way on this road. The driver died and his 13-year-old son died.
1: So- you're not in the business of writing about tragic accidents and so to do one and then to do another, you know, I think by the time you got into the second one, you were already still having felt the emotions of the first one and this one, as you said, was 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was some excitement of being able to go wherever, knock on any door, drive, take this trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things is you went to the scene of the accident. Yeah. And in your lead, you bring us there and you write this along the side of farm to market road, 1788, there's little to the pallet but a cacophony of browns and yellows, dead grass, rocks, pebbles, scraps of tire tread and muffler drag in the distance. Some unattended oil pump jacks are protected by a barbed wire fencing It is dry and hot 91 degrees. And the smell is a blend of fumes and desolation. First, I want to say that it's just like, wow, because it just brings us to that place. Mm -hmm. But tell me more about why you felt like you need to go there, how you absorb all that's around you, and why did you lead with that?
0: Uh, I mean, first of all, you have to go. You have to go. uh, You're in the state. I don't know how you write about it. an accident and not go to the accident scene. Also, I was there, so the accident took place in March. I was there in May. So I actually learned from the, I learned a lot from the Las Vegas story because I went to the scene in Las Vegas and the burn marks are still on the road. The police markings are still on the road. Uh, so you just don't know what you're gonna find. Um, so I went out there. It was really hard to find, actually. It was this long stretch of road in Texas, farm to market road, 1788, long stretch of nothing. And I actually was driving along. I didn't know where to stop. And I saw a little crucifix on the side of the road. And I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. And I actually stopped and pulled over. Middle of nowhere, no one around, nothing. And then I see the burn marks in the road. And then you actually see, excuse me, the markings where some of the bodies were, or Hmm. where a body was. And uh, it's jarring. And then you go, and there's a cross, a blue cross. And there's a a sign with the pictures of the victims. And uh, I don't know, there's... This is hard to explain. I don't know if you've ever felt this. There's something about being in the scene of a tragedy where you're like, wow, this really happened here.
1: <clears throat> I think the thing, the difference is we see those crosses and memorials all the time you know, in lots of different places. And we think, like, oh, that's sad. But we don't know anything about the story. But in this case you found the exact thing and you knew everything about the story. I think it makes that spot so much more like meaningful and holy in a way, rather than just you see this cross when you know something bad happened.
0: I mean I'll say something I feel like um, I feel like everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, myself included by far. I mean a lot. I mean you know like I, I think about death a lot and I also am really into like, I'll pass a street name and want to Google the name and learn everything about it. You know, it's just like how my brain works. We all have our things. I'm really into that. You know, like as I read a book and then I obsess over like what happened to those characters, you know, and like, I just like that kind of thing. Like, so this had a lot of that in it. Like I was really fascinated by this scene and how it happened and who these people were and how it played itself out and being in the moment. And also like, it really was like this desolate, middle of nowhere, nothing rude with nothing going on. And in a way, that's a lot more interesting than if it were by a McDonald's.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It just is because it's such a uh, haunting scene for an accident to take place. It's more
1: poignant when there's nothing else there to distract you from it.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, like writing-wise, like um, there's no such thing as nothing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like... Okay, so there's nothing there, but in a way, there's everything there. There's barbed wire fence, there's dirt, there's uh, streak marks on the road, there's paint, uh, there's a vigil with little pebbles and little golf balls spread out. And what you really want to do as a writer, I always say this in my class, my it's it's not about taking the big and running with that. It's about taking the tiny and making it bigger. It so like you th- told
1: me, don't say cereal, say Cheerios.
0: Right. <laughs> it's not just a. Bi- I always say it's not just a soda. It's yeah. a diet coke. It's flat. It's in a bottle. The label is peeled off. Blah 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 blah. Like that's so. For me, like I stood there for a long time. Number one, videotaping the scene, which you can do now with your phone, obviously. And number two, just writing down everything I noticed. Mm-hmm. Everything I noticed.
1: Like using all your senses, basically.
0: Yeah, and you know it's hard to remember, so you want to write it down. And and little things that say something to you, like little, like there was a. Um, I mentioned there was a. Uh, there was like a little vase that was tilted to the side. Uh, along the um, the vigil, you know? And like I said, a bouquet of blue, white, and red artificial flowers. There's something about like, oh, uh, and a tipped vase holding dead sunflowers. Like you wouldn't just say sunflowers. The fact that they're dead sunflowers makes a little more. And also like the color, it's blue, white, and red. It's not just a vase it's a, or a bouquet. It's a blue, white, and red. Like any way you can paint the picture and, and, and what it says to you, I just think is important.
1: So... You plan this trip to go to Texas and Canada. Tell me a little bit about the choices you made, where you were gonna go, who you were gonna talk to. All
0: right, so I reached out. So the two families um, where the kids survived, I shouldn't say kids, young men survived, um, they didn't wanna talk. Uh, they weren't ready to talk, which, of course. The thing is, like, you go into this, you go, when, when you're writing about a tragedy, it's like usually um, part of being a journalism is salesmanship. You want me to hold it? I'll take the mic. Part of journalism is salesmanship. And you're the salesman. And it's a it's a crude way of looking at it, but you're trying to sell people on talking to you and convincing them. And in a way, it's a little bit the opposite here. Like, I actually said to every single person I reach out to, if you don't want to talk to me, don't talk to me. I say, it's just a magazine story. It's not that important. Um, these are your lives. These are your kids. And I really meant that. That was not me trying to be a nice guy to get them to talk to me. It was like... It's not that important. This is a magazine story, you know? If I don't write this story, like, it's fine. So I ended up, first I reached out to the two families where they died, uh, where the kids survived, and um, they didn't want to talk, okay. Then I found, I reached out on Facebook. I think the first was um, Hayden and Chelsea Stone and their daughter Lacey died. And I reached out to them, DM'd on Facebook, I, th- I, I think Chelsea, and I said, you know, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, game, they were game to talk. And then I think I reached out to Abby, who was uh, Travis Garcia's mom, and she was game. And the thing you realize that we've definitely talked about is like, and you as a social worker are probably aware of this very much, like when people are grieving, um, when they've lost someone, they usually want to talk about that person they lost. Like it's rare actually that they don't want to talk because it's a chance for them to carry on their memory, number one, to also work through their grief. Um, and it's just a sort of, it's their own sense of therapy. Especially
1: when it's their kid.
0: Yeah, of course. So I basically like, I ended up meeting with um, three sets of parents in Texas. I went, the the first place I went was the university. So I, I flew in Albuquerque, drove four hours, I think, to the University of the Southwest. And the first thing I did, and this is actually important in journalism, I basically spent a bunch of days there. I interviewed the president of the university, Quint, who was great, used nothing he told me, right? I went to the graduation ceremony because I thought it'd be emotional, used literally nothing from the graduation ceremony. Um, Interviewed students at the graduation ceremony, used none of it. The only thing I used from that whole thing was Ryan Tipton, the provost. He didn't have that much time for me, but he gave me about maybe 25 minutes after graduation. And I met him in a back room in wherever the auditorium or whatever was held on campus. And um, he was wearing a gown and a cap and the whole thing. And he told me some really interesting stuff. He used to work in the oil business. That's where he started before he went into education. And um, he said it was, it was just a, a miserable kind of experience because of all the deaths that happened in the oil business. It was just a ton of tragedy, people dying on rigs, and that he wound up going into education. And then he has to deal with this. And the thing I found really impressive about him is as soon as it happened, he called every family. Like as soon as he could, he called every family. He was on vacation in Florida. He got every number, called every family and said, I'm Ryan Tipton from the University of Southwest. And this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what I know. And if a child had died that he would say, I hate to tell you this, but your child died tonight, And I can't even imagine what that was like. I mean, I can, but it's horrible. Yeah. Um,
1: Then you went to Canada.
0: But first, I was in Texas for a long time.
1: Yeah, but who did you see in Canada?
0: I saw Justin, who, um, Justin Posidney, who was on the team. And he, um, he was supposed to be on the bus. So basically, they were you had to be top six of the men. And he was sixth. And there was another guy, Tiago, who's a freshman, who wound up seventh. And Justin was a senior and kind of checked out, wasn't really into the golf anymore. And um, he gave up his spot. To Tiago Who is a freshman From Portugal And Tiago wound up dying And I have to say Here's something I, I, I don't want to talk About this stuff I sent the article To everyone involved I sent it to Justin I've not heard back from him And I am This always happens with me And I think If you're human It happens I worry Like I'm like Did I get that right Right Because I wrote about The pain he's experiencing I sat with him And his girlfriend At a golf club In Edmonton Right And I he was crying and holding it in and she it was really beautiful his his girlfriend who i didn't mention in the story had just graduated high school she's only 18 years old he's 22 and she kept like holding his hand and like comforting him and there's this really beautiful scene but the guy was he was broken you know he's
1: i know but (laughs) i mean i have to say like he's not writing back to you probably has nothing to do with you or your story, but this guy has a horrible amount of guilt, and then here's the story that's reminding him of all his guilt. I know,
0: but then you wonder, okay, so you're me, right? I'm actually being 100% serious here. You're me. And number one, you think, okay, did I did I tell his side right? Did I get his perspective right? Did I read it correctly? And then number number two, you have to ask yourself, like, this guy's 22 years old, right? I feel like I've had this a million times, and as I get older, it gets harder. Like... It's just a magazine story. Was it even right to... I know he's an adult, but like...
1: I know, but we've talked about this many times. I'm not a journalist, and I could never do the kind of door knocking and question asking that you have to do to be a journalist, because for me, I could never put somebody in that position where they have to tell their story. They have to do that. There's nothing wrong with you doing that. I think that there's a lot of good in this story and this kind of story, but you know, that's not for everyone for the asking and it's certainly not for everyone for the telling. So I think he gave you the time, but I could understand. I can understand why your mind wanders too. And now, you know, it's, you're, you're worried, but at the same token, I think you've asked somebody about literally the lowest moment probably in their life. They will never be able to forget. And, you know.
0: It's a crazy job. It's a crazy, crazy job. And like the reporters who I really admire are the people who like do this shit and somehow like, I've known many reporters who are just assholes and they're indifferent to people. They just are. They don't really care. They just see it as like a lot of like old New York Post reporters and tabloidy reporters and they're just into the gotcha and whatever. And like, it's just hard. It's freaking emotionally hard. It's a million times harder for these people, obviously, who went through this tragedy. But like, should you be writing this story? Is it the right thing to do? Are you doing it the right way? Are you asking the right questions? Are you being insensitive to these people? Are you taking it? I mean just Yeah, it's a beast. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to get back to the emotional mm-hmm. stuff of the story uh, in a little bit. But when you – no, I think that there is something that, especially when people lose a child, they want to hear their child's name. They want to be able to tell stories. Like, it's. they have nothing left. So that's, you know, very – comforting for them, but still, you know, you're going into people's living rooms who maybe don't want to answer the questions you want to ask. So how, how did you make people comfortable? What was one time where, you know, you really had to work hard to, you know, warm somebody up?
0: So it's, um, it's really interesting. Like, uh, I feel like, um, I think I'm pretty, I don't want to be like, Oh, I'm the best. Like, but I think I'm pretty good at reading a room, like fairly good at reading a room and reading people, right? And I think I gained a lot from starting my career in Nashville, like fish out of water and like being around people who are just not like me at all and didn't have my background and you sort of get comfortable dealing with people. So like um, there was one guy, Gary Raines and his daughter, um, Abby, uh, died. And I looked up Gary on Facebook before I went down, right? And I was like, this is going to be hard. Like Gary Reigns is like, you know, very conservative, not a fan of Biden, you know, that kind of thing. And you're like, and deep in the heart of Texas. Right. And he was a former, uh, prison chaplain and just like, so out of my universe. Right. So out of my, just my day-to-day existence. You know, I don't, you don't talk to people. If anything, you see people like this online and you're like, Oh, I hate that guy. You know,
1: that's you. Sure.
0: But you know what I mean though, in this sort of divided world. So I went down and, um, I met him, he wanted to meet at the golf course where she played her hometown golf course. And we walked the course, he and I just walked the course. He wanted to show me the spot where she had a hole in one. And I walked with him on the course and you're like, this guy is just broken. And all he wants to do is talk about his daughter. You know, he's just broken, he's so broken. And he just wants to talk about his daughter. He's a super religious man. He told me he thinks like everything that happened was God's plan from the very beginning. I think he said a line like, God knew this would happen millions of years ago. It just, it's just the way it is. And obviously, I mean, this is important. I, like I don't share that sentiment, right? Like I think this sucks and I think it's a horrible accident. I think it is awful and I don't see how it's God's plan. But your job as a reporter is just to listen to someone and talk to someone and hear them out and hear their perspective. And um, I thought all these parents and family members were just very open to me and open to talking about their kids. It was it was the hardest story I've ever worked on, ever. It was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, ever. Um, I love these people. Like, I really did. I re- there's so many people I just, I really loved. And...
1: I think it kind of goes, you know, when you say, you know, you look someone up, it's funny in social work, like we always talk about, like, don't Google somebody because you get something in your mind that you can't unsee. And that could affect the way you relate to somebody, how you talk to someone. And I think, you know, when it comes to something like this, people are people. And um, sometimes we know too much about somebody's background that sways us or, you know, I don't know, people are so much more complex than we give them credit for.
0: Um, I agree. The thing is, as a journalist, you do have to look them up beforehand. Like you just have to, because you have to know, maybe she, you look on his Facebook page and his daughter is really into bowling. I'm, You know, simple thing. Yeah. Like, or maybe there's some video of him holding her as a two-year-old. Like you have to look him up. But it's really, really important when you go into these interviews. In fact, you know what's funny? At the end, I said to him, I said something like, we were all done and we were just talking. And I was like, you know, I looked you up on Facebook. We are totally different in our whatever. I said, but you're just a freaking beautiful guy, and I just I'm so sorry. And we talked at length, and I just I really liked the guy, you know. This article this article was actually really good for me from that vantage point, yeah. you know, because I do get into politics and like you're around these people, and probably none of them voted vote the way I do or feel the way I do. And to the end of the day, they we're just all people
1: trying to figure it out. Before we continue with Two writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my daughter, Casey, who's been watching a documentary on Warren Jeffs and now wants to start a cult.
1: I've spoken with God Almighty, and in 23 days, 6 hours and 14 minutes, and 2 seconds to be exact, the world will be destroyed by a giant meatball. Follow me to Toledo if you want to live.
0: Uh, can, can you add one final touch,
1: please? Oh, right. And before you follow me to go to Toledo, go to RoyalRetros.com and spend all your money on the best throwback hats, shirts, and jerseys. Then, and only then, will you be safe from the meatballs in Toledo.
0: Wow. You're just like Warren Jeffs.
1: Thanks. My 36 wives would agree. So when you you sat down to write this story, I know you were sort of dreading it because you have these seven lives that you want to chronicle, plus the guy who didn't go on the van, plus, you know, whatever other people that were involved... And you decided to write the story backwards. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what it was like to sit down to the blank page when you have all of these stories and so much information that you know is so important to these families and you only have 3,000 words.
0: Yeah, I ended up like, writing more, closer to 4,000.
1: That's so unlike you.
0: Yeah. Um, Go on. All right, so I started, just to, to elaborate a little, like the story begins uh, at the crash site, at the uh, site of the accident. And but like in
1: current times in
0: current times and it's literally it goes chronologically backwards and it start the end of the story is them boarding the bus so that's the team boarding the bus to go on this road trip right. and um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing I actually wrote the lead originally decided it sucked wrote a different lead got really confused by it the original lead was too similar to the Las Vegas story lead and I didn't want to write the same story again then I went back to it and uh, it's kind of a ripoff of, so there used to be this great SI writer, Gary Smith, and he had this style that we all used to copy a lot. I didn't copy that much, but every now and then we would start every section of a story. He'd break it up and he'd start it with like, you know, peach trees only grow in Auburn. And then it would be peach trees only grow in Athens. Peach trees do like whatever. You'd have this rhythm. So every section of the story, I started with the search for meaning takes you here. The search for meaning takes you here. And there was, each section was a different place in the story, a different family. Why are you smiling?
1: Because um, I absolutely love the story. I loved how you did it in reverse. It all completely worked. I absolutely hated the repeating of that one line, ah, of those two lines. Why? And in fact, if I were an editor, I would have cut it out. <laughs> it almost was, it felt like a gimmick and it, it, you could, it would be even more powerful if it didn't exist. Sorry.
0: I know, but then I'm not sure how you would make it clear that you're going backwards in time.
1: I don't think that does make it clear that you're going backwards in time, quite honestly. So
0: I invite you to host this show <laughs> and you're dogging the story. No, and now you pat I, me on the head and that's I, supposed to make me feel I better. I
1: actually love the story. I just, you know, that to me, I think.
0: I mean, you might be right. And technically you're right, it is a gimmick. Like it's a gimmick, it's yeah. a writing gimmick. So, it, to me,
1: it, it, it felt unnecessary. There was nothing wrong with it. It yeah. just felt unnecessary. But anyway, I laughed about that. But I yeah. love that it was in reverse. Um, I don't think it's
0: obvious that it's in reverse. That's the thing. I could see 50% of people reading this story and being like, and yeah. saying at the end, oh, did you know that I was in reverse? And they would be like, oh, I need to read that again. Was it really? Yeah. You know I mean?
1: No. And I also, I did like the idea of like, you know, we're searching for meaning and that's the whole point of writing the story mm-hmm. is it's like, what does this all mean? Like what, what's the meaning in this? Now you're
0: just trying to make nice.
1: No, I'm not. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying like, I I, I, I literally wrote. <laughs> the search for meaning takes you here. It takes it. It has to take you here. And I said I would have edited that. Out. Yeah, I
0: respect that. Anyway. It might be true. That's fair.
1: Um, but anyway, so you decided to go backwards. Why? Why? Why did that make sense to you?
0: I don't know, actually. And like, sometimes you just don't know. Like, sometimes you just try something and you hope it works, right? And you hope it makes sense. I did like the. I like the idea of ending it with them boarding the bus. Like, I thought there's something about that. Like, because the final line of the story. I'm not saying it's like growing or anything, but the final line of the story, the final paragraph is, uh, you file into the vehicle, settle onto your seats. and It was all written in second person, which is kind of different for me. I've never done that before. You file onto the vehicle, set onto your seats and you take off. Your immediate path entails a straight road to Texas. Your long term term future, however, feels limitless. And um, I just thought it was kind of haunting this idea that like, the end is the beginning. Like you're, and you're getting on this bus, and we're, we're ending it by these kids. But we all know what happens. I don't know, but I've never. I think never it was a it.
1: much more interesting story having written it backwards than done in the chronological order. I think because you also weren't telling all stories completely. You're giving bits and pieces of people's stories. You know, just like a highlight, a memory, a thing in a way if you went straight through chronologically I feel like in some ways it would have been obviously more boring but also it would have felt like you were missing things but here you're supposed to be missing things it's like jumping from memory to memory like in reverse order this is
0: easily by far the highest degree difficulty story I've ever tried easily, easily like every book I've written has been chronological that's basically the way you write a book most stories I've written have been chronological I, I have never tried anything like this I never had this much information to put into a certain technique you're trying to do, like the whole thing. And when I handed in, I was like, I don't know what they're going to think about this, you know, yeah. but they seem to
1: like it. So, um, But that's how it always goes. You, you're nervous, you're scared, it's terrible, they're not going to like it, and then... Oh, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have handed it in. I should have reread it. But You're this editor, way too, though. Everyone probably is. Yeah. And then you you wait, and your editor's like, "I loved it." Like, oh.
0: Well, the funny thing is, like, the stories you hate, they like. The stories you like, they hate. That's like very common.
1: Yes, maybe
0: at Sports Illustrated, that was such a thing. You're like, "This story's the best thing I've ever written."
1: So there are several like sliding door kind of situations in this story yeah. where if they had done this one other thing, it would have had different outcomes. You talked earlier about. Um, The boy who gave up his spot and gave it to the other guy, his friend, and how then that guy passed away. And then uh, how they decide when they all did terribly in the golf meet, they decide to stop on the way home to Chick-fil-A. And then they go from Chick-fil-A back in the car. And you say this without Chick-fil-A, the timing changes. You would already have driven um, down the Texas farm to market road 1788. You would have been approaching home. Yeah. I mean, that's just like gut-wrenching and the would-haves or should-haves or could have all these things. And you also talk about two kids who went on the bus to the meet and then stayed overnight. Yeah. So like how, what goes to your mind when you're writing that in terms of like, to me, that's like a gut punch to the parents, you know, just like what could have been or the, the coach's family for this decision.
0: Well, I was definitely concerned. So the... uh the coach is Tyler James. He's 26 years old. He was driving the van, and he decided to stop at Chick Fil A. It was late. They were hungry. I mean, if you really want to put some blame on someone, which I don't really want to do, but if you want to point a finger, you can't point at the coach. The guy was 26 years old. He's driving. Oh, the I'm t- not no, I'm just no, no. I'm I know you're not. not. I know you're not. I'm saying that, like, of course they're going to stop for food. It's a, you know, it's like eight o'clock at night, and we have a two-hour drive home.
1: Oh yeah, it was nobody's but, wrong decision. Wait,
0: the only thing I will say. And I know some of the parents are upset about this, and I think there's an argument to be made, to be honest. I'm not trying to get involved in any legal. They should have stayed over the
1: night. They should
0: have stayed over that night. First of all, he's a 26-year-old coach driving a van with an attached attachment to the back along a really narrow, really straight, really dark stretch of road, and they should have stayed over. Like, they should have stayed over. I hate to fucking say it, but they really should have. And that actually... well, they
1: drove 100 miles home and they were supposed to drive 100 miles yes. back the next morning. So they're driving
0: back the next morning. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah, it
1: doesn't make sense.
0: I get it. You're trying to save money or whatever, the athletic budget. I totally get it. But it, it doesn't make sense. Oh, so, so
1: this is a junior college, right?
0: Uh, no, it's a four year school. Oh, I thought it was. Yeah, it was NAIA, um, which is a lower division, but it's oh, a four year okay. school. Yeah. Um, so um, I thought about that a lot. Like I kept. Originally, the whole Chick fil A thing, one of the parents told me. I think it was Hayden who told me or Chelsea. And they're like, uh, yeah, they stopped at Chick-fil-A. And I immediately thought to myself, like, wow. You know, like, so that changes everything, right? Because, And I always think about this stuff. Like every time, I, every time anything happens to you in life, right? You think like, man, if I were five seconds more this way, if I were five seconds more that way, that guy got hit by the bus, I didn't. You know, like all those things. And it really hit me. And then I wrote the story. The story came out. And I saw it and I thought, I really hope the coach's mom, June, her name is June, doesn't think I'm saying that it was his fault.
1: Mm-hmm. And she didn't
0: get that impression of all. And obviously I was not saying no,
1: that. No, it didn't come off. To right. reading it, it didn't come off that no. way. And also, it came off, this is like a 26-year-old young guy. I want to say kid because he's practically a kid, but he is an adult who's like on his first job. He's living the dream of this college coaching gig, you know, but I mean...
0: He's making, he was making $26,000 yeah. a year. He lived in a one-bedroom apartment. He basically lived on Chipotle. Uh, I forgot what the other was. Chick-fil-A, whatever it was. Chipotle. And you know, and um, he was like, this was his dream job. Man. He was, he didn't. She was telling me, his mom was saying, all his friends wanted to be um, PGA professionals, and he wanted to be a coach. Yeah. And this was like a dream. He couldn't believe he was allowed to coach his team. And he just sounds like a wonderful, they all sound
1: Totally. I I mean, I think that they did such a good job with the layout and the photography. It's beautiful. Um, And I think that that, originally you read the story to me before you handed it in and I thought it was great. But I said to you earlier that I enjoyed it more reading it on the page, partly because it's so heavy that it's better to slow down and to read it carefully and to really think about what you're reading, especially because it's going in reverse order, that I enjoyed it more reading it myself. But I think seeing the way they had the kids' pictures all from their, um, yeah. you know, the school pictures and just, like, the layout. I don't know. I thought they did such a generous job with the pictures that it really added to the story. Did you feel that way?
0: I did. I was just thinking, I think you're right about the search for it. I think it is a little gimmicky. I think maybe I should have done without it. So, good call. Yeah. Where were you when I needed you?
1: I didn't tell you because I knew you felt so... It was so hard. Well, that's okay. At the time. but yeah, I yeah. still felt that maybe way. Anyway. Right. Um, also, I feel that you mentioned it several times, but, you know, I'm really interested in this, like as a social worker and as someone who, you know, I think has been trained to manage difficult emotions in like people's worst times. But, you know, you went in this story, you talked to so many people who are just broken, heartbroken, you know, just the worst loss of all time. And you yourself had to absorb all of their pain. You had to hear it all. And then you had to write about it and to process your own pain plus you had done this las vegas story which was also really painful so like how did you manage your emotions and how did you make sure that it didn't impact your ability to write a good story
0: um it was really hard i thought question actually got me kind of emotional like that uh, it was really hard i um if there's any debate like whether it's okay like is it okay to cry during an interview the answer is yes like it's okay and i I cried three times during while interviewing people, not like sobbing, sobbing, but tears in my eyes. And it's just freaking heartbreaking, you know, and it's just heartbreaking. And I, I feel like you, uh, these people, I kept trying to remind myself, or I do remind myself, like it's such an honor that they're talking to you. Like it's such an honor that they're talking to you and that they're giving you their time and that they're entrusting you, you know, like, I kept thinking about this, not, and this isn't political, like somewhere there's so little, there's a lot of mistrust of the media right now. And a lot of these people probably don't love the media right now. And they all open themselves and were really gracious with their time and really kind with their time. And, um, I mean, I don't know if you have this written as one of your questions, but, the, to me, the moment that sticks with me from this story is so Hayden and Chelsea, their daughter, Lacey died. And, um, Lacey was 17 when she gave birth. I think Hayden was 18. And they live in Nakona, Texas. They're great, like great. And they're very different. They kind of deal with grief the way you and I do. One deals with it much more openly and one is much more reserved. And Hayden's a little more open. He's the dad. And um, he was very insistent that he wanted to see his daughter Lacey at the morgue, right? At the local morgue. Mm -hmm. And he told me that. And I, re- you do have to be delicate when you talk to people about this and how you approach and how you ask, but I really wanted to know what that was like. I just thought that was a really profound moment, this idea of this dad and he needs to see his daughter and they're going to open the body bags, zip it open, which they did, and he has to look at her. He needs to look at her. And it was about two hours into the interview. We, I was there for probably three hours. It was about two hours the interview. I was in their house in Nakona. And I, he's like, you know, I, I had to do it. I just had to do it. And she's like, I couldn't do it. And he's like, I had to do it. And I said, well, what was that like? like, are you? And then you're like, I'll be like, I'll be like. so was it, I have to, I will always do this. I would let people in. So I'll say, you know, when you write stories, a lot of it is about detail. And I hope this doesn't cross the line, but do you, like, was she, was she on a table? Was it in, a, oh yeah, it was on a table. And do you remember what color the bag was? It was a black bag. And. They zip it. They, they zip it open, and he remembered what time it happened. And then he talked about sort of her hair and her face. I didn't really get into that, but you just like it's like an it sounds weird in a way, but it's like an honor that he's trusting you with this information and trusting that you'll be tasteful with yeah. it. So
1: I think also, I mean, you hadn't been working on these kind of stories. Not this was a very hard story in general, but like you know, you're you're not a magazine writer any longer. You don't do this kind of work. Um, but I was thinking that you came into it very humble and you didn't act like you know, you're know you a successful, million times best-selling author and you know. <laughs> million times, really? <laughs> yeah, that many, good. many, many millions. Yeah. Um, and I think that that actually matters because I think in a way, no matter how big you get, you should always approach a story from the sort of humble place of not knowing and of of being open to whatever the experience is. And it seems like you really went into it with like a very interested mind and like kind of a humble way of being. And like you said, like, it's just a story. Not that you didn't care. Obviously you care deeply, but it's like, if you don't get this one thing, like their lives and their mental health is more important than, you know, the story. So I don't know, did you feel like you went into it with like a certain mindset that kind of kept you, going in a, in a way that was approachable for them?
0: I just think I'm older. Yeah. I'm like...
1: Yeah, how would you have done it differently if you were younger? Poorly. You have been an asshole.
0: No, I would not have been an <laughs> asshole. I were not I wrote some really like sensitive stories as I like yeah. at the Tennessee, but I... You know, like, I'm just like... First of all, when you're older... So most of these parents, not all of them, but most of them are younger than me by a decade or so. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you're the older person... And you have a little more gravitas or whatever, just by age, not by anything I've done. And um, also like, this is gonna sound weird, right? But I'm not young and scratching and clawing to come up. Like when I was at Sports Illustrated, I was scratching and clawing and I needed those stories. Mm -hmm. Like I needed those stories. I needed, if they were gonna fly me somewhere, I needed to get that story right because I wanted to be a senior writer and I wanted all these things. But sitting here at 50, I'm comfortable in my career and I'm comfortable in my life. And honest to God, like if this story had fallen through, if I had to call the editor and say, I can't do this story. In fact, even if the editor said, yeah, but we paid for your flights down there, I am in a position where I could have said, I don't care. Like this week, I'm not doing this. Like this, Mm -hmm. I'm just not doing this. And it wouldn't have been a loss for me. Like, and I don't even mean financially. I just mean like, I don't freelance anymore. Like I don't do these anymore. Mm -hmm. This is a rare thing. I don't, so- I just think I am more mature. I am not scratching and clawing. I am definitely over my salesmanship days, where I am trying to, like, man, I am trying to figure out a way to get them to talk to me at all costs. Like, you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to. If you don't want to talk to me, please don't talk to me. You know, don't talk to me. Make sure think about this. I actually said, think about it. Let me know if you want to talk. If you do not want to talk to me, it is totally fine. You and I always say you'll never hear from me again, and I mean it. So I don't know.
1: Yeah,
0: I drove so many miles on this trip. I drove. So many miles on this. This is the most I've ever driven by far. I drove maybe 3,000 miles in like not many days in Texas, yeah,
1: like five days, and none of
0: it made any sense. Like, I go from
1: you're the worst planner.
0: I went well, I love driving, and I went from <laughs> New Mexico to San Antonio, way back up, then to the center of the state, then back down.
1: You not only are you just a, a bizarre planner, but it always works out for you, so you it, it's fine. But, like, you're on the road. You've been driving for, like, seven hours. You're like, I don't have a hotel. Do you <laughs> mind looking at this one town and seeing if we can oh, yeah. find a Nakona, hotel? You found me a hotel. I'm like, oh, my gosh, who drives in the middle of Texas without knowing where they're going?
0: I just kind of figured it would work out.
1: It did work out.
0: Yeah. It was uh, it was hard, but it was cool.
1: Um, Okay, I have only a few more questions. Okay. Um, there were two kids who went on the van that I mentioned that's that stayed overnight and didn't come home. Yes. You didn't mention their names. I, did I was not. curious if that was on purpose or what your thought was.
0: It was on purpose. I thought, um, I'm trying to think how hard I even reached out to them. I really focused on the victims and I didn't, maybe it's laziness. Like, it could be laziness here a little. Like I didn't, I didn't go that hard to reach out for them. I, I know I reached out on, I think on social media and maybe I texted them. I don't remember, but um I don't know, I just think like, it's a lot of shit to deal with, you know? And like, if they're not, it wasn't that important to mention their names. It added nothing to the story in that case. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, let them, let them be, mm-hmm. that's it. I usually, I'm, again, it's a departure from my usual.
1: Well, but I think you can make a case one way or the other. Like sure. in some ways their lives are, are drastically altered also by that incident, even though they weren't there. The survivor's guilt, they were part of the team. Like that's a horrible tragedy that happened to them in a way, being left out is like they weren't part of that story, but on the other hand, it does save them from being constantly Googled for something that, you know.
0: Totally, also like, I'm not afraid to admit this, like, there are definitely flaws here. Like, again, starting with a repetition, maybe a flaw, leaving their names out, you can make the case that's a flaw. You know, like, it's not a perfect, the one that really bothers me a little bit is the guy who's driving the truck So the guy who was driving the truck and his son, they died. And I went to, I really wanted to talk to the widow. And this is me, this again, is stuff you would not do. No. Right, I was in the middle of Texas and I took like half a day, I had an address for her. And I drove out to the house where she lived and the house was empty. Or there were people working on the roof, like tarring the roof and nobody was home. And I was gonna knock, she like shared a property with a house next to them and I was gonna knock on the neighbor's door, and it literally, in spray paint, across the door said, um, knock if you want to see God sooner. I think that's what it said. <laughs> and I was like, I think I won't knock on this door. Um,
1: that reminds me of when we went to stay at that um, bed and breakfast one time, and they had a sign that says, we don't call 911 with like two guns uh, on the yeah. side." And I was like, okay. All
0: right, all right. The biscuits are great. <laughs> um, so I feel like I would've liked more on that situation, mm-hmm. I feel like they're they're kind of left out characters. I'm, I write about him a little bit, the dad and the son, not that much though. So. It's a fly. It's not. This is not like my favorite story I've ever written. It was the hardest story I've ever written, and it was the highest degree of difficulty. It's, I wouldn't say, I don't have a ranking, but I wouldn't say it's the best story I've written. Uh,
1: I think it's an amazing story. I think you did such a good job, and I like I said, I really enjoyed reading it the second time and just like really digging in. And there's, it's just so painful. There's so many. Just amazing details and getting into all these families, you know, lives. It's it feels like voyeuristic, but it also feels really important. Um,
0: Can I say one thing that was yeah. hard? One of the hard things about it is I spent hours with these families, and yeah. there's so many people in the story, and I literally wrote. And one, I won't name which person, but one parent called me and said, basically, sort of, why is there so little about and.
1: I well, can't argue that. This is my last question. Oh, this okay. is perfect lead-in. Go ahead. What didn't make it into the article? What hurt you oh, to have to leave out?
0: Just so much about these kids. Like every section of this article is basically 400 words or whatever, so they're very short. And I definitely didn't. There was one golfer, uh, Travis Garcia. I wrote about. I went to his house. His mom Abby was great. Um, she's a teacher, and she took me up to his room. And there's nothing, I mean, there are a few things more haunting than someone's room after they died, right? And he had, all, he had all these, like, funky socks. He was really into, like, funky socks. And I, she pulled out his drawer and showed me all the funky socks, right? And his room, it was like he was coming back in an hour. is that kind of thing. And I didn't get enough of him in there. And um, there's just a lot of, like, these are all people who deserve to have their stories told. And if I was profiling one of them, if I was given 4,000 words to write about one of them,
1: you would
0: have plenty. I could have written a ton about any of them, but I had it's as much about the crash and the scenario as it is about. I mean, I thought the president of the university was awesome, and he was the first guy I interviewed. He was sobbing during the interview. Um, his wife was a was a, is a priest. She was lovely. oh, or a uh, I guess minister minister. Excuse me, not a priest, <laughs> right? And she was great. And um, they um, they couldn't. Uh, I didn't use any of it. Yeah. That was hours. And I think like that guy's probably reading this story being like, wait.
1: I actually always think that's painful. Not that I've written a million stories, but I've interviewed people for stories. And when you don't use someone you talk to or you don't use half of the things they told you, it's just, it, it feels horrible.
0: I don't think I've ever written a book where I haven't had at least one person say to me, am I in the book? Because I interviewed them and they're not. And right. it's, oh no, but you added a lot to it. Or, oh, but I used so-and-so and it's not the same.
1: So I hate that. Yeah. Um, Well, I want to say that I thoroughly enjoyed you writing this story. I think you did an amazing, beautiful, sensitive, empathetic job. And um, I wish you would write more magazine stories. I like it.
0: I mean, there aren't that many magazines left.
1: (laughs) Okay, well. There just aren't
0: that many magazines left. Well, also,
1: to me, I just want to go back for one sec to Mm. the you – getting the assignment, you definitely did not want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely like, oh, you must do this story because it was, I mean, I think I write for like 10 cents a word. (laughs) I was like, you can't, this doesn't exist anymore. You can't turn down, this is such an amazing opportunity. And I feel like you were lucky to get this opportunity where someone was gonna pay for you to drive around and rent a car and fly to different places and interview all these people and take a week. And, you know, I just think that doesn't exist. Anymore. Like, it barely does.
0: It very much felt like an old school yeah. Sports Illustrated experience or old school. I used to write, there were these magazines like Best Life and Details and Spin and all these magazines, and you would get pretty good assignments, you know, and um, airline magazines were amazing assignments. Wasn't
1: that one you wrote for the Dog Fancy?
0: I did a story, that wasn't a great assignment. I did a story for Dog Fancy about dog names, and there was like, there was this bonanza of freelance opportunities. And I don't know if anyone could sustain, really sustain these days being a freelance writer on the money that's paid. It's really...
1: <laughs> as, as a freelance writer, I can tell you, you can't.
0: Yeah, so yeah, it was overall, it was definitely a, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I met these people. Hopefully they're satisfied with how I told their story. I really try. I really worked hard on this. And um, I wouldn't say it was, I can't say it's rewarding. It was more, I feel like someone hit me over the head with a sledgehammer a thousand times, but I guess I'm glad I did it.
1: I'm glad you did too.
0: Thanks for hosting.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: Okay, you're fired. <laughs> I want to thank today's guest host, my wife, Catherine Perlman, for taking the mic for me on Two Riders, Sing and Yang. You can follow Catherine on Twitter at The Family Coach and buy her new book, First Phone, wherever books are sold. Also, my story, Shattered, appears in the new issue of Golf Digest. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders, Singing and Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money for doing this pod, and I rely on Word of mouth. Music is by the incomparable
1: MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me. Remember, keep riding.